and uh, welcome to another exciting episode of Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. I'm Andy Bannister uh, from Solas, and I'm joined as ever by my intrepid uh, co-host, Christy Mayer uh, from Oak Hill uh, Theological College in London. Christy, how are you doing today? Doing well, thank you. All the better, actually, for being called intrepid. Thank you. Is that because I'm moving house soon? I think that's right. Last time we did a show, you were all, you were all ready to move, move house into some, you know, sort of those palatial houses they they give lecturers at theological colleges, right? You were going to say that, yeah, absolutely. Next Wednesday's the day. Can't yeah. wait. I'm doing well, but I'm really excited about our guest today, Andy. Who is he? Who is he? Well, we are joined, uh, literally from the other side of the world. We scour the planet to find new guests on this podcast. We are joined all the way from Australia by uh, Richard Schumach. Richard, welcome to Pep Talk. Hi, Andy. I'm very, very good to be with you. Hi, Christy, too. You, uh, Richard, you are among many other kind of things. We may talk about some of this as we go. You are the director of the Arthur Jeffrey Centre uh, for the Study of Islam at uh, Melbourne uh, School of Theology uh, down in Australia. That's, um, that is quite a mouthful. Um, what, does that, what does that entail? And, and how did you end up getting involved in, in engaging with Muslims? Well, the, the centre itself, um, in a nutshell, what we do there is we really just help Christians engage with um, Islam, both uh, sort of socially and politically as a religion, but also, um, and I think more importantly, um, in, in just as being able to be good neighbours to Muslims and being able to share Christian faith with their Muslims, be able to talk about Jesus with, with their Muslim friends, neighbours, workplaces, Um that's the heart of what we're on about. Um, how I ended up there was um, that's sort of by accident, really. Uh, I um, I just sort of happened to um, end up living and working in a community that was majority Muslim, uh, a massively majority Muslim community in Australia and Melbourne, um, mainly from the Horn of Africa. So we're talking Somali, Ethiopian, Eritrean communities, um, and. I just realised that certainly I, as a uh, fairly young Christian, was not at all equipped to be able to have good good conversations with the friends I was making there. And I just sort of, that set me on a road to trying to work out how to do it better, how to understand how Muslims thought, how to understand particularly what how they thought about religion and faith, how to have discussions that actually connected inst- instead of just passing ships in the night. Um I kept trying to read books, none of them asked the question, answered the questions that I was asking, and then that sort of led me eventually into more study because I thought, oh, well, I'm going to have to work it out myself, and that took me to studying um, under Muslims. I did my uh, PhD research with Muslim supervisors and Muslim colleagues and was marked by Muslims and so in a very Muslim community, so it really forced me to encounter Islam at great depth and really um, wrap my head around how... Muslims thought and um, particularly how they came to their beliefs and then how they reflected on their beliefs or didn't, um, how they practiced their faith. So that was the journey and that, that ended up with me now teaching about that. Hmm. Oh, well, Richard, I'm so glad that you're with us for many reasons, um, but one of them is that I don't have much experience really in talking with, with Muslim friends or neighbours. And so kind of thinking about this whole area can feel a little bit intimidating. Um, what would you, what kind of advice would you give to someone like me who, you know, kind of will we'll talk to people on the street every now and again, um, 
you know, maybe just in my everyday interactions in supermarkets or perhaps with like neighbours or, or some friends from work. Um, what are some of those conversations that you mentioned that connect? Like what are the issues that come up? How can we go about moving into some of those conversations for those of us who don't have much experience and just think, oh, this just feels enormous? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of things to say, but probably the first um, and most important thing to say is that um, Muslims are people too. Like, I, particularly for Christians, I think we sort of put Muslims in a special case. So there are, um, you might have believers and then seekers and then unbelievers, and then somewhere else you've got Muslims. They're a super hard case. They're particularly different. Um, certainly in conservative communities, they'll often look very different. They're um, women can wear clothes that. Uh, just by their very nature seem designed to isolate you or separate you out. So there's, that's a tricky thing to start. But behind, I promise you that behind the veils, um, Muslims are ordinary people wrestling with all the same questions. They're, they're worried about their family and their kids getting into drugs and they're worried about whether God really loves them. Um, so that's the first thing to say is they're really ordinary. Probably the second thing to say too is that in most Western communities, Muslims will experience some sort of... Um, uh, abuse, whether it's particularly verbal abuse or social abuse, particularly if you're a woman who, uh, again, if you're dressed identifiably as a Muslim, that you will experience some sort of thing like that. And anyone who just smiles and says hello um, is a massive step forward. And um, mm. another thing too is most Muslims yeah. are from communities that are very social, very um, communal, very family-oriented, um, they love being invited into homes. They love talking. They're not at all scared to talk about God. Um, and so ironically, Muslims are probably the easiest people you'll ever find to talk about God with. Um, mm -hmm. God's in their consciousness all the time. And they're very, um, the passage I keep thinking of um, when I think about Muslims is Romans chapter 9, where it talks about how, it's talking about Jews there or, or passionate Jews, but very similar to Muslims. They uh, it talks about how they're zealous for God um, and, and his righteousness. They want to be right with God um, and they want to know that they want to live right lives and know that they are right with God eternally and have a great passion for that. So they're very easy to talk about mm. that with. In fact, they're, they're surprised that Christians don't talk to them about it. Hmm. So very, I mean, again, just sort of following on from that, Richard, it's a very practically very sort of you know engaging your muslim friend 101 so let's imagine you know somebody listening to this has got perhaps you know muslim neighbors uh, perhaps they've got a muslim colleague at work perhaps they bump it there are other muslims at the school gate are there some just very practical tips from your experience engaging a muslim someone just to, just to start you just knock on the door and say hello do you leap out and say hey i'm a christian do you invite your muslim friend to coffee or lunch um what would be some very very practical ways to perhaps start building some bridges for people who, who, who would love to do it, but just literally don't know what the first step should be. Yeah. I mean, the first thing to do is just, like I said before, smile, say hello, offer them to go for a coffee. Um, food always works. I mean, I think that food always works everywhere, but certainly it works <laughs> in most Muslim contexts. Um, and then just pray that God would open opportunities and see where it goes. And uh, probably one really helpful tip I think is um, – if you if you are if a listener is 
has sort of thought already about, hey, I've got Muslim friends and I'd like to talk to them. Um, one of the worst things you can do, um, ironically, is go and look at all the apologetics debates on YouTube. Um, <laughs> very intimidating, lots of theology, lots of Islamic and Christian theology. Um, if you're not a debater, particularly if you're a Muslim, um, you actually don't know very much theology. Islam is a very, very practical religion. Um, there are five things you're supposed to do. You say your prayers, you you give money, you go on pilgrimage, you make a confession. Um, and beyond that, you just try and keep the rules and be good. Um, most Muslims don't understand Islamic theology um, in any depth. Most of them don't really understand the Quran. So I guess one really helpful tip is don't ask them theological questions. Um, ask practical questions like, do you pray? Um, what do you pray about? Do you think God answers your prayers? Um, do you go to the mosque? What's your experience of the mosque? Do you feel close to God in the mosque? Um, and especially do you, um, do you have confidence that God loves you, that you're forgiven, that your sins are dealt with? Um, those sort of very, um, I'll use one slightly big word, like existential questions, very real personal questions. Ask people for their personal testimony of faith um, and their experience of being a Muslim. And um, I promise you that will then lead to you being able to share your story. And I think that's the best place to start. I think that, that increases my, my confidence so much because that's exactly what you are saying earlier, like treat people like human beings and asking those kind of low level but really important questions can just generate such a great conversation um do you have any kind of stories where, where that's happened for you like what what does it look like to then build on some of those conversations like what would their perception of jesus be for example and and how might what might it look like to to develop and build on those um introductory questions yeah right so um pr probably should be, i don't want to sort of make out it's all beer and skittles because one thing is that, just to answer that question, what's that sort of prior, what do they already think about Jesus? Um, Muslims will almost invariably say that they love Jesus. Um, I, I remember one of my, meeting one of my friends outside the gym, um, his name was Abdi, and he was wearing a T-shirt, and on the front it said, I love Jesus. And on the back it says, because I am a Muslim, and he was too. And so Islam has Jesus in there, like he's a figure, he's a prophet. Um, but I asked my friend Abdi, what do you, what do you love about Jesus? And he said, oh, it was just a free T-shirt at the mosque. <laughs> um, and I mean, that was funny, but it's also uh, pretty revealing because um, Jesus is a prophet of Islam. But if you ask the average Muslim, they won't have a clue what he taught because it's not in Islam or even what, what the Messiah is, that's not in Islam either. So he's sort of this empty figure. Um, but the one thing they do know for absolute certain is that he's not the son of God and he mm. didn't die on a cross. So that's the real barrier to overcome is mm. um, they're sort of prepped up with that that is um, that's an anathema. In fact, that's the worst sin you could make. Shirk, associating anything with God is a blasphemy that's horrific. And so that's the challenge is be able to talk about Jesus in a way that um, anticipates that objection. Um, and I think the way to go about it is to try and avoid, again, avoid theology. 
Um, and maybe a useful way to think about it is um, just think about if you're a Christian listening to this podcast, why is it that you believe in the Trinity and that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And it probably isn't because you somebody sat down and apologetically or theologically argued you into it. It's because certainly in my case, I encountered this person and the only explanation that made any sense was that he was God, the transformation of my life, the miracles, the, the teaching. And, and I think that's the way to come at it with Muslims. And so um, my advice would be um, to try and sidestep speculative and high-level theological conversations. I mean, answer questions truly and honestly, but um, just say, yeah, I get that these are complex things, but um, if you believe in Jesus, listen to what he said and see what you think and look what he did and see what makes the most sense of who he is. Um, and I, I remember sitting with a guy who was a refugee from um, Iraq and Every time I went around there, we'd drink coffee for a while and then he'd just say, tell me one of Jesus' stories and I'd just read a story, a parable or even just an event of Jesus' life. And every time he was in tears um, mm. because, um, again, whatever the, the theological debates, um, when he met Jesus and when he heard Jesus' truth and the tr- truth about him and the truth he was telling, um, yeah, that just transcended all the debates. Hmm. I think I think there's so much there's so much wisdom um, in there. And I think the other thing I like about that, Richard, I think is ultimately that's that's the goal of evangelism and apologetics generally, isn't it? Is introducing folks to Jesus, not getting tied up in knots around arguments and and so forth. There's a place for those those sometimes. So we'll put a link in the in the show notes to the book you you wrote on on this Jesus through Muslim eyes which is an, a phenomenal book actually really encourage people to take a take a look at that um yeah i agree question. sorry go ahead. just, just i totally agree I, well, like, I love a phenomenal, phenomenal book <laughs> <laughs> modesty <laughs> modesty <laughs> um absolutely well look i'm not going to stop anyone buying it if you can find one but the um i totally agree with that distinction um between apologetics and evangelism particularly for a pep podcast um mm. Evangelism is introducing people to Jesus and apologetics is just dealing with people who aren't interested or, or have objections about even having that encounter. Hmm. It's a bit like if I'm try, if I want to try and set up my friend, I, I have a friend who's single and I think, you know what, you'd be great with this person. Um, the goal is encounter, is for these two people to meet. But my friend might be scared of relationships, I might have had a truckload of busted ones they might doubt whether love's real um they might not trust that i know this person well enough um there's a whole lot of dynamics that are going into various objections that will come up and i might need to persuade them and give good reasons but ultimately none of that's the Mm. thing the thing is the encounter and that's absolutely true Mm. um my, my goal always in that community was just to particularly that people could pick up a Bible or watch a Jesus video and just mm. meet this person and instead of worrying about what their teachers had told them about um, the theology was just to say, who do you reckon this person is and what makes sense of who you, mm. again, of the things he did and the things he said. The other thing I thought would be interesting to, 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 to ask you, Rich, as well, I mean, I, I, if my memory serves me right, I think a lot of the encounter you had with, with, with Muslims over the years has been with a Somali 
kind of mm-hmm. community. And obviously yep. many of many of us and many listening to the show are living in contexts where we have either lots of immigrants or lots of refugees. There's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of people movement going on right now. Are there any sort of particular sort of bits of wisdom or advice you would share in terms of befriending and making connections with those who are perhaps new to the country? They've, they've immigrated, they, they, they fled for, for, for their lives from perhaps a war zone or whatever. That's tremendous opportunities to serve, to show the love of Christ, but also to talk about love of Christ. Any, any wisdom you would have for us on particularly engaging people yeah. from those those backgrounds who are new to the, the, the West and everything is sort of up in the air right now? Yeah, well, uh, again, um, like I said earlier, most uh, most Muslims are from communities that are very um, collective and very public. And especially if you're a refugee, you come and you're highly disconnected. You're um, often disconnected from your own communities and sometimes you don't trust your own communities too because of politics. Um, like you might if you're a political refugee, then it can be dangerous trusting your own people, which is what where immigrants would normally hang out with their own uh, people group. But that might be a dangerous thing for you to do. So, um, yeah, they are people who are in great need and who are often very lonely and um, caring for them is a, it's a brilliant thing. Um, they're also... They have um, a whole range of perceptions about the West. One of the things is is that the West is Christian. I mean, not only do they think collectively about community, but they think, um, how would I put it? In Islam, there's no distinction between politics and society and religion. There's no church-state separation. None of that is even a concept. So when they arrive, they think it's a Christian place um, and they're stunned that Christianity is sort of private. That makes no sense to them. Uh, remember, speaking of refugees, one of one of my uh, students actually was uh, living in a house where his housemate was selling a van, uh, a van with no windows, and uh, two Muslim recent arrivals turned up, knocked on the door, um, and dressed entirely like what you'd you'd think that the, your perception of what um, a hyper conservative Muslim looks like. That was them, and they were at the door and. Um, he said, and they said, we're here about the van. And his first thought, he was very ashamed, but his first thought was, what do you want with a van with no windows? Um, he was ashamed of himself for even thinking it, but then he thought, well, it's my, mate's, it's my flatmate's van, come in and wait, and he offered them a cup of tea, and they sat and started talking. Um, and eventually they found out he was a Bible college student and they just chatted away and he shared the, they read the Bible a bit together and they talked. Um, anyway, got to the end, and they said, we've been in Australia for about two years um, this is the first Australian home we've been in. No one else has invited us in. And you are the first person who's talked to us about God or Jesus or Christianity in two years as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so and I tell that story, I mean, it's a shocking story in a way and there's, it's sad, but um, it's also a story that you see the opportunities Um particularly Muslim refugees, uh, they're longing for um, for welcome yeah. and they're stunned that they can't have discussions about Jesus with people. Um, yeah. yeah, the opportunities are just huge. Yeah. So many more questions um, we'd love to ask you, Richard. I think this is probably our last one before we have to wrap up. Um, but just thinking about those opportunities um, that we have, 
and particularly for refugees I'm just I think I just realized that most of my opportunities and the people that I that I meet are probably Muslim men and so there's probably you know a whole host of reasons why that might not be appropriate Um, but do you have any like cross-culturally inappropriate do you have any kind of advice on what it would look like to for me as a single woman kind of without a family so I'm not engaging with Muslim women at school or etc um how what it might look like to to get to know kind of Muslim women in the community and is that the best way to to kind of connect with um with Muslims is is for me as a woman to speak with women or is it possible to do that with men too? Like what are some of the dynamics going on here and what might be a good way to, to do that? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. And not just in the Muslim context, in every context, the more culturally sensitive you can be, the more culturally intelligent and um, engaging with people um, in ways that they're comfortable, then yeah, absolutely go for it. And and you, particularly if it's a conservative Muslim uh, community, and, and again, as Andy said, I'm with was with Somalis, and they're right out on the high. Con- certainly, my community was very very conservative. Uh, this this takes a bit of cultural nous, I guess, but there are many situations where women can actually talk to men. Um, they tend to be formal, whether they're um, a business setting or a teaching setting. or So if you have a role that allows that, that's okay. So it's certainly the private and personal that you'd want to avoid. Um, but again, with women, uh, just don't underestimate smiling in the street and or if you see a group of – they love picnics and so if you see them in a park, just go and wander up and say hi. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, cultural sensitivity is important and um, – just on a slightly different note, if this is the last question, let me squeeze something else in. <laughs> Go on. I, just, yeah. I just remembered it. Um, I just think something that's worth bearing in mind in every situation, um, I would ask someone if I could pray for them. Mm. Partly because it's never wrong, right? You, no one ever, even the most radical atheist um, will take an offer of prayer as an expression of care. They might. They might think you're an idiot. They might even refuse it. But in the Muslim context, I've only ever had one person ever refuse for me to pray uh, for them. And when I say pray, pray with them on the spot and pray out loud and pray in Jesus' name. Don't be ashamed to pray a Christian prayer. Um, And there's a couple of, like I just said, it's an expression of love and that's, um, that's powerful. But also... I don't, don't know whether this is good theology or not, but sort of how it worked, I think, is that generally, not always, but generally Muslim prayers are ritual prayers. They're like um, in the Catholic Church, you pray Hail Mary or um, the Our Father, like you, and you pray them repetitively. Um, and, and what they certainly are not is they're not in the power of the Spirit and then they're not intimate with God in that sense. Um and so when you pray with a Muslim in the power of the Spirit, then you're bringing them close to a personal encounter with God. Um, certainly they're witnessing that happening, and that's stunningly, um, it's different from Islam and it transcends the experience of Islam. Um, and if God answers those prayers, then they've got a major problem with their theology then because, hang on, if, if God's listening to the prayers of Christians, then what's going on there? Mm. Um, particularly a conservative Muslim. Mm. Um, in my community, there was only one 
um, uh, the Somalis were particularly resistant to um, wanting wanting to put their faith in Jesus. But the one guy who did uh, was because I prayed for him on the, on a way to a court case, um, and he got let off. And he thought, and he didn't deserve to be. He was completely guilty. Um, it was a bit of a miracle actually. But he came back and he said, "That was all your prayer. Um, give me a Bible." So yeah, oh, yeah. Not, never, you can never get prayer wrong. <laughs> Love it. Amen, indeed. And I think that's a great, that's a great place to wrap. So, um, Richard, thank you for all that wisdom that you shared. I just love how much really practical stuff there was, uh, was in there. And now, and Christy's got no excuse now. She can get out there and get, and get started, right? Right. Yeah. I'm ready for it. Bring it on. Fantastic. Well, Richard, thanks. Thanks again. And, uh, all of you listening at home or on the car or on your way to a court case, uh, wherever you're there catching up this episode of Pep Talk. Thanks for listening, and Christy and I will be back in two weeks' time with another guest, another conversation. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.